All right, here we go. Thursday afternoon, 104 TFJ. I see the number one story on CJOB.com right now is stormy night ahead across southern Manitoba. I just listened carefully to your forecast. What kind of stuff are we looking for tonight? Yeah, and when I was uh, talking to uh, our global news weather specialist, Mike Conkin, we could be in for some uh, pretty nasty weather, especially after midnight. So if you're hoping Mm. to get a good night's sleep, uh, you may want to go to bed a little early if that's the case. Uh, basically, a large system's coming in from the U.S. They're expecting some really bad stuff in North Dakota, like uh, even tornadoes and really powerful winds. Huh. Uh, some of that will make its way further north. And the big issue, we're not going to see tornadoes like a lot of the stuff they'll see south of the border, but some of the bigger issues will be the potential for torrential rain, for sure. Mm. Damaging wind gusts, maybe up to 100 kilometers an hour. Wow. Could also see some large hail. The I think the the interesting part about this and the thing that will affect most people is the timing. So we don't know exactly when, likely after midnight, but if that gets pushed back a bit further, that means the morning commute tomorrow could right. be affected by this. Yeah. So that's the number one key here is that, especially if you leave earlier, like at, you know, six or seven, yeah. you might be driving through some nasty weather tomorrow morning. All right. Good to keep in mind, not to minimize severe weather, because as we know, it can be very severe, very sure. damaging. Uh, but around my place, a thunderstorm, wind, this kind of stuff, my dog does not like it. My dog does not sleep well. And then I don't sleep well. And then Hal's grumpy. And yeah. And then so, I don't sleep well. There you go. And you don't have a good day either. Because <laughs> Hal's grumpy didn't sleep because his dog didn't sleep because of the weather. Well, you're not the only one, <clears throat> Hal. Like, I know a couple other people where it's the exact same. It doesn't matter how yeah. long the storm lasts, but mm. anytime there's a storm out there, they're like, great, I got to make sure my dog's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The dogs don't like, and also not a great weekend for my dog, Hershey, because she does not like fireworks. And there will be a lot Oof. of fireworks around because it is, of course, a long weekend, Canada Day coming up. So, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on things. And uh, thank you, TFJ. You'll be back at uh, 1.30 with the latest news. And uh, let's take a look at the show here. Here's what we got coming up on the show. It was nice to uh, get a shout-out from Drex on the shift last night. I want to talk about that after our first break, so hang on for that. After the news at 1.30 with TFJ, that guy right there, Professor Negan Sinclair will join us. Native Studies, University of Manitoba. I want to talk about... The Edmonton Eskimos name. I don't normally say it. I'm saying it today because members of the team, officials of the team, are up north talking to Inuit about this name. It's, uh, I think, and I understand the the connection to the name and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But but listen, um, at least some Inuit people think it's derogatory. They don't like it. So just out of respect for another human being, I, I think you just stop doing it. You stop using the name. That's my very simple thought on it. We'll talk more about it. Tough trivia at about quarter to two. Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs. Right after the news at two, St. Norbert Councillor Janice Lukes will join us on this uh, new bike debate, this new Angus Reed survey that you've been hearing about on CJOB here today. 2.15, Darren Dunn at Assiniboia Downs. You want to do something this weekend? Maybe go play the ponies at Assiniboia Downs. We'll talk to Darren. they got a big weekend planned over there, including fireworks. And from 2.30 to 3, Carolyn Klassen will be here from Conexus Counseling. I want to talk to Carolyn, as I told Kathy Kennedy, who's filling in for Jeff Courier. Um, I want to talk to Carolyn about losing a child. 
And uh, I also want to talk to Carolyn about something she wrote just before her son got married. Uh, advice to her son as he gets married. And I think it's a timely subject because it's wedding time, right? Wedding season. A lot of people getting married. So all that and much more coming up. Let's take a break. 108, Tal Anderson on CJOB. All right. Speaking of incredible stories, did you know that I am the 34th greatest Canadian of all time? I don't like to talk about it much. (laughs) I'm joking, of course. It comes up every once in a while. And it came up last night across the Chorus Radio Network with Drex on the shift. Take a listen. Including here on CJOB, you might have heard this. We compile our own list of Canadians saying, hey, I think this Canadian's awesome. Because when you look at an American list of of favorite Canadians, it's only the Canadians that have hit the big time in the U.S., like when you look at this list. Whereas locally, I would say there's a lot more Canadians that should be on a list of awesome Canadians. Because I remember the CBC many years ago did that, uh, the list of greatest Canadians of all time. I only remember one now. Right, and that's number 34, yes. Hal Anderson from C- <laughs> 680 CJOB. He's the 34th grade. In fact, uh, when Hal was doing mornings on, on, on Power 97 with Wheeler, I remember I would listen online from Australia, and Hal Anderson's news theme used to, used to go something like, this is Power 97 News with the 34th greatest Canadian of all time, Hal Anderson. And then he'd jump on and start reading the news. Uh, you know what? And I didn't even know it until about two years ago that he was 34th. But right. that, he's the only one I can remember. Like, and that I have was, no idea who's number one. That was it, Yeah, who was it? Uh, who was number one? See, no one cares. People only care that Hal Anderson, uh, a, a Winnipeg legend, is number 34 on that list. So thank you very much, Drex, uh, for the shout-out. I appreciate it. I'm enjoying the shift. really like your show. Uh, by the way, you can go to my Twitter feed, at Hal Anderson, and you can see uh, the tweet from uh, Drex, and you can see some other reaction uh, from people there. And so that got me thinking. You know, I haven't for a while uh, played the audio of when I was named the 34th greatest Canadian of all time. Funny story. I did not know it was going to happen. We just jokingly on the radio said it a couple times, and I came into work, and Wheel says to me, well, congratulations, man. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I went to bed early last night. I looked at my phone. I had about 80 messages on my phone, including one from my mother. My mother, see, all she knows is she sees me on the CBC, and my mom, you have to understand, my mom... CBC means news, right? So she sees me on the CBC, and she goes, she leaves a message on my phone, and she goes, what did you do? I saw you on the news. What did you do? All of a sudden, you know, it's not that I did something good. I I did something bad. The thrill for me was that Wendy Mesley said my name. Quite a few of you tried to vote your moms onto the greatest Canadian list. How sweet is that? And there were a few granddads nominated, too. There was even a grassroots campaigner in Montreal with his own website. Sorry, Jesse, you didn't make it. But one such campaign actually worked. I guess it helps if you have your own radio show. Power 97 News Update. Good morning, Hal Anderson. Number 34, Winnipeg Morning Radio host Hal Anderson. Way to go, Hal. You got the vote out. An exercise like this is an exercise in direct democracy and... uh, some of the choices prove that direct democracy doesn't work. Uh, this is why we don't run by referendum. And then they started started taking shots at the fact that I was uh, the 34th greatest Canadian of all time. Why is this guy on the list? He does. So I approached it this way. I really felt like I was representing 
the average Canadian on the list, right? I hadn't really done anything special. All I did was go to work, work hard, try and be a good person. So I sort of felt like I was representing uh, average Canadians on the list of great Canadians, number 34. But they uh, did certainly uh, make a big deal out of me ending up number 34 on the list. But the producers point out no matter who wins, it's not a scientific survey. It's a television show. It's supposed to be fun. And it already is fun, at least for Hal Anderson. The 34th greatest Canadian of all time! Is it going to my head? Yes! Yeah, so right across the country, (laughs) it kind of did go to my head. And here I am, what? I think that was 2004. Here I am, 14 years later, we're still talking about it. It'll be be on my uh, tombstone. It absolutely will be, right? For sure. So uh, not long ago, I made the comment, uh, Matt Carty was still working here. He's not working here now. He's with Coors in Ontario. But uh, Matt Carty was here and Kyle Milroy. And we got talking one day about how if you take all the dead great Canadians off the list, I am actually very, very high on the list of great Canadians, uh, the greatest Canadians of all time. And so let me play that audio back. We we sat down and uh, figured out where I was on the new list of living great Canadians. I don't even know how this happened, but we got talking the other day about me being the 34th greatest Canadian of all time. And Matt Carty was there. Kyle Milroy was there. They're here now. Uh, and I made the comment that, oh, I'm much higher up the list if you take out all the dead great Canadians. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank you to my research team here, Matt Carty and uh, Kyle Milroy. Where am I on? I think I'm in top 10. Okay, you're not in the top 10, I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry to oh, burst your bubble on that. Well, you are You are in the top 20, though. Yeah. We did the calculations and the calculations. We <laughs> we striked a list of people that are no longer with us. Right. And you have moved up from 34th all the way to number 18. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'd the, like to uh, thank the Academy. Uh, listen, this was ridiculous when it happened in 2004, I <laughs> yes, think it was. Yes, 2004, yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so number 18, so, well, the funny thing is I've been milking this, and I will continue, Kyle asked me on the air the other day when I was filling in for Jeff and Kyle was producing yeah. the show, he said, oh, that still happened, that's still a thing? <laughs> it still sticks, yeah. Yes, I'm taking this to the, gr- it will be yeah. on my tombstone, man, <laughs> 34th greatest Canadian. You'll be happy to know now you are standing right next to Shania Twain oh. on the list. No, you bumped well, her down to number 19, I'll that's good company. Ne- I'll stand next to Shania anytime. Well, I hope Bob Irving's not listening right now. Yeah, I'll be very upset. <laughs> Listen, this is ridiculous. Of course it's ridiculous, right? Uh, but I sort of feel like, and I said this way back then in, in 04, I kind of feel like I'm representing the average Canadian on the list. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was you're more of a you're a uh, a uh, a token. A, 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 yeah. a, a, um, I can't think of the word now, but you, you are you are Joe Canadian yeah. for this list, and right. uh, and now you're you're still going, and you're 18th, 18. and we hope to climb up that list even further. <laughs> Give it yes. a couple of years, you might be in the top ten. Although well, I know I indirectly just wish that other people would die so you move up, but well, I don't I don't mean it that way. <laughs> and carefully, you don't yeah. jinx things for me either, because you know I could be off the list yeah, and somebody no, else could good, be moving you're up. You're good for now. You're yeah. Good. Well, what yeah. I found really ridiculous about this list is who did you bump out of the top 50? Uh, Gordy Howe. Oh, oh no. I bumped Gordy Howe out of the top 50. Oh and you're my. ahead of like four or five prime ministers too? Yeah, Mr. Dressup. That was the one that really kind of hurt me is that I finished ahead of Mr. Dressup. I mean, come on. 
That that's wrong, right? That's just. A, but I give you full, beat the system. You beat the I, system, and I give full credit to the CBC for leaving me in in there because they could have said, "Listen, this is yeah. crazy, right? Let's pull this guy out." But they left me in, and what a thrill for me to hear Wendy Mesley <laughs> announce my name as one of the greatest Canadians of all time because I had a big thing back in the day for Wendy Mesley. Yeah, and then followed crush. up by, after after announcing you, they announced Gordon Lightfoot and Michael J. Fox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But, you know, and I think I, ended, I think I ended up ahead of three prime ministers. I am ahead of the guy on the $5 bill. I, the oh prime minister on the five was that Laurier? Yeah. Yes, Laurier on the five dollar bill. So, so I think I think what's next is that we got to get you an order of Canada. I think <laughs> that has yeah. to happen. How many people on is this there list? Is there online voting for that? Like this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, you guys are now my PR team. All right, yes. you're, my, you're my research team, and now you're my PR team. Hype. So go go out and make it happen. Hype man, I Hype like man. it. <laughs> yeah. Matt, Kyle, thank you guys. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Now, I will say, if you would like the 34th Canadian, uh, 34th greatest Canadian of all time to appear at your Canada Day celebrations, I don't have any plans. So if there's a small community in, in southern Manitoba that would like me to, you know, uh, maybe announce the fireworks or bring on the band or whatever, hey, you know, I can uh, work one day every year as the 34th greatest Canadian of all time and uh, be a part of your Canada Day celebrations. It's funny. Uh, taking a couple of minutes here just to, because Drex mentioned it last night, so I thought, oh, it'll be kind of fun to play this stuff. So some guy sends in a text, how you're talking about yourself, I'm out of here, see you later, bye. And then um, and then you get Tammy who says, uh, how you go, man, number 34, proud of you, uh, the, the people that don't think you deserve the spot are just haters or envious. And uh, keep on being fabulous. So there you go. Proof again. Proof again that you cannot please everyone. I only try and please as many people as I possibly can. As long as I'm pleasing more people than I'm peeing off, we're okay. I think we'll, uh, we'll be okay. And I just wanted to take a couple minutes to... For example, let me tell you something else quickly here before we break for the news at 1.30. So the other day I had on Pastor Bruce Martin from Calvary Temple, we were talking about forgiveness. And I have a lot of respect for Pastor Bruce, so I had him on. There were people that were wound up tighter than a $3 watch because I had Pastor Bruce on talking about forgiveness, and he mentioned God and faith a couple of times. People were all fired up about that. I got an interesting call today from Pastor Bruce. Pastor Bruce that day was on at 1.45. He said, Hal, I've got a meeting at 1, and I've got a meeting at 2. So 1.45 works. I said, great. His 2 o'clock, this is true, he called me this morning. And and listen, I'm not saying this is God. You don't. If you believe it's God, it's God. If you believe it's uh, uh, just kind of meant to be or, you know, I can't think of the right word. But anyhow, let me tell you the story, and then you figure it out for yourself. So Pastor Bruce says, Hal, i got to tell you a story. He says, my 2 o'clock appointment that day showed up at 1.30 early. And she was meeting Pastor Bruce because her husband passed away. Pastor Bruce said, let's get started. I've got to do this radio interview at 1.45, and then we'll continue on. It's only going to be a few minutes. And when Pastor Bruce was on the radio with me, she was sitting in his office with him, Right listening to him talk about forgiveness. 
He hung up the phone after our conversation, and she said to Pastor Bruce, she says, I know now why I messed up and came early today. She said, I needed to hear that conversation, your thoughts on forgiveness. And he said, why? And she said, I am so mad at my husband, her dead husband. I am so mad at him, the mess that he's left me to take care of. All his stuff, his business affairs weren't in order. I'm angry at him. I'm upset with my husband. And she said, what I just heard you say has now helped me forgive my husband. I was angry at him. I was upset with him. And I needed to hear that. Now, did God play a role in having her there for that conversation? Up to you. If you believe that, cool. If you just believe that for whatever reason, maybe he played a role in it, honey, don't be mad at me. Who knows? But I thought that was a pretty cool story. News at 1.30, coming up next, Hal Anderson on CJOB. I think there's uh, I think there's an opportunity to have a more inclusive name. Um, that's ultimately a decision for the team, though, and I and I and I will obviously respect that. But uh, if if you're asking, I'm I'm going to give you the truth. I, yeah, I've 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 voiced my uh, my thoughts on the team name. That being said, they're a great team, great organization. Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman a while ago on Edmonton's name in the CFL. I'm going to say it now, and then I'm not going to say it anymore. The Edmonton Eskimos. And joining us on the phone now to talk about this name is uh, Negan Sinclair, Professor of Native Studies at the University of Manitoba. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Bonjour. Hello. Yes. Um, so you wrote a column in the Winnipeg Free Press not long ago, and I, I read it with interest. It was, uh, I think, around the time Edmonton was here uh, uh, playing our, our Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, give us the the basic argument as to why it's time for this name to change. So, um, sports logos uh, for a long time have utilized uh, Indigenous peoples as a kind of mascot, or sports teams have used uh, lo- Indigenous peoples as logos or mascots, and and it harkens back to a time when Indigenous peoples were kind of used within the story of the settlement of North America as being one of two things. One is uh, threatening, um, a threatening expansion, meaning fighting back for protecting territories. Uh, kind of, There's a sense of nobility in there. There's a sense of honor and protecting your families. And then the second part of it is, is also uh, they're tragic. They're, they're fading away into the wilderness. They're kind of uh, something to be pitied or some tragic victimry uh, involved with that image. Now, that is all very... Uh, plentiful fodder for stories around sports. So it shouldn't be any surprise that Indigenous peoples were used in beginning in the late 19th century uh, as kind of um, uh, images that sports can really put, put a lot of uh, um, information into, uh, can caricaturize, can, uh, from the Cleveland Indian symbol to the Washington Redskins to thousands of other uses of the name over the years for particularly sports involving baseball, football, hockey, and basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think it was in your column that I read this, but your dad did not like the name either. Tell me about that. Uh, Well, my father uh, is, I don't think I've actually talked about that in the column, but I mean, I first sort of started talking about imagery in the 1980s when I was a kid. 
I remember my father being um, very uh, cognizant, very aware of uh, imagery in our homes and uh, involving Indigenous people. As a young Indigenous person growing up, I think he, he was seeking more complex visions than those that were on the side of, uh, I remember Johnny Appleseed, I remember uh, um, uh, images on the sides of cereal boxes and sides of, jeez, uh, um, uh, everything from cans of food to uh, the sports teams that would be in our home, and he would often talk to me about that. And and he particularly talked to me about the ways in which uh, sports logos were very, very disrespectful to the ways in which Indigenous peoples were represented. Because we have to remember that, you know, sports are a story. There's nothing wrong with sports, uh, but sports are a story. And so if we tell stories about the dehumanization of Indigenous people, because they're always decapitated heads and the sides of helmets, most often dressed in the color of blood, and they're playing an event, which is what football is all about. Uh, the event is about land theft. That's what football, that's the purpose of football, is my job is to go into your land, occupy it, and then do a little dance. The, uh, the whether the baseball, uh, hockey, basketball, it's really all the same principles. And so it's not that sports are the problem, it's the stories that we're telling that are the issue, that are the challenge. And so if we continue to have those kind of logos and, and images, uh, they not only influence Indigenous peoples, but they don't really, they don't honor, we do, they don't honor Indigenous peoples at all. They're, they're based in stereotype and uh, innuendo and falsehoods. And some of them are, are slurs like redskins. Uh, the term Eskimo doesn't describe Inuit people at all, even though it purports to. It's a, a word that described uh, raw meat eaters, which kind of boils the people down into the one action that perhaps they might be thought of as doing. But that's not even the term Eskimo was used to describe really all of indigenous peoples back in the 19th century. So it's not even an accurate name to begin with. And then what about the ice cream bar that has the name? I mean, is it time to you mentioned products? I guess it's time for it to stop there, too. eh? Well, I mean, like, what's the point? What is the point of having uh, iconography, symbols, logos uh, that purport to use uh, Indigenous peoples as fodder to uh, classify them in a particular way? So in terms of the uh, an Eskimo um, ice cream bar, <laughs> it's referring to they live in the north, right. ice cold. And, and, you know, obviously the Inuit people are more than this. And so why would we want to characterize them in such a derogatory way or a simplistic fashion? Yeah. we're One of the reasons we're talking about this today is because uh, Edmonton team officials are actually touring the north, discussing the team's name with uh, Inuit and Inuit leaders um, up there. At, an argument that I hear all the time, and I want to hear your answer to this, uh, Nigam, but... A lot of times people will say, well, there's no malice. It's a sport team. It's been like that forever. Come on, you know. Uh, for me, that doesn't work. And I'll just explain quickly why it doesn't work for me, and then you talk about it. It doesn't work for me because if somebody finds something offensive, I don't care if it's a word or a name or an action that I'm performing, if it's offensive and somebody says, I find that offensive or derogatory, please don't do it anymore, I don't, out of respect for that person. So we're hearing from a lot of uh, Inuit and Inuit leaders that this is derogatory. They don't want this used anymore. And even if there are some Inuit who say, I don't really have a problem with it, there are many others that do. And I think out of respect, we just, we just don't, we don't do it anymore. There were things my grandfather said at the dinner table when I was a kid that, uh, (laughs) I found offensive and I had to say, Grandpa, I know you don't mean anything by this, but you can't say that. That's wrong. 
Well, I mean, you can find anybody to say anything is okay. And so going out and finding a few uh, Inuit people that don't mind the name or don't care about the name, I mean, that's the easiest thing in the world to do and probably is the most red herring argument I've ever heard. Uh, But there have been some moves by sports teams like the Florida State Seminoles, for example, to create relationships with Indigenous peoples in their communities in order to use the name adequately and appropriately so that the name doesn't become a caricature. It doesn't become a simplistic uh, representation uh, based in stereotypes. So one thing that the Florida state seminoles have done is they've created relationships with the local seminole tribes in the area in florida so that they participate in things like pregame ceremonies and acknowledgement around land and and uh, the use of particular symbols within the game itself or within the team use of itself so i mean one of the most offensive things that uh, i applaud winnipeg jets for doing is is there was uh, use of headdresses in the jets games but Uh, If you know anything about a headdress, I mean, we're talking about a sacred item that recognizes leadership, that recognizes the vision, the high vision um, that that a leader is supposed to have in order to to see all amongst not just peoples, but also life itself. That's what that's why it's a headdress. That's why it's eagle feathers uh, intended to represent the the life of uh, a leader to be to see the highest in the sky. And, you know, Playing, wearing those headdresses drunk, dancing around a game is not respectful. Um, it's very offensive and dis, you know, it's very, um, it's very disrespectful. And um, it, it bastardizes those traditions in ways that are uh, completely one dimensional and yeah. forget where they come from. And so, um, you know, when things are offensive, it's not that things shouldn't be, shouldn't be banned, you know, said or banned, but they should be used in ways that are respectful. And I think if the Edmonton football team wants to be respectful and have a relationship, I applaud them for going and speaking to Inuit communities. But at the end of the day, they're going to hear the same thing and that the, the name is a caricature. It's a simplistic representation and it's a real problem. Yeah, enough talk already. Let's just figure out another name. I, I, I don't see what the problem is, and they keep uh, wanting to delay, I think, hoping the issue will go away, but it, it's not going to go away, and that's what my column was all about. Yeah. Uh, Nigon, thanks for doing this. Before I let you go, anything else you wanted to say? Uh, no, no, I really appreciate having yeah. me on anytime. Anytime, anything Thank like you. you need. Thanks for making time. I appreciate it. Miigwech. Thank you. Nigon Sinclair. He is the uh, uh, professor of Native Studies at the University of Manitoba. And you guys are already weighing in by text message here, 204-780-6868. Larry says, like Jeff Courier says, why don't we just ban everything because it might offend someone crazy. Um, Another one here. The names of these teams are not meant as an insult. I think we addressed that, but I'll, I'll finish reading the text message. I think you want to change the names. Uh, they're still going to call them the Eskimos, um, LOL. When does PETA start arguing for the Tiger Cats? That one's from Brian. Um, somebody else here, Nathan, fighting Irish, Vikings, etc. All bad, question mark. Um... Weigh in on this, 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. One more here. Jacob says, Hal, I texted this to Greg this morning. High school team in the States was pressured to change their name, the Cougars, because some people felt it was a derogatory term to some women. I'll... 
and I'm not just saying this after reading that one uh, from Jacob, but I, I agree. Sometimes things are just a little too politically correct for me. But I think with the name of the CFL team in Edmonton, this is just what I think, I think the Inuit or or many of them, I would say probably a large majority of them, do not like it. They say it's derogatory. Please don't do it anymore. And just out of respect for other human beings, why don't we just say, okay, okay, cool. If I'm at work here at the radio station and I say something that somebody finds offensive, we are told to go up and say, Hal, what you just said, I find offensive. So that I understand you find that offensive. And then I'm to apologize, which I would feel terrible if somebody was offended by something I said. And... So why is this any different? Inuit and Inuit leaders say, this is derogatory. This is offensive. Please don't do it anymore. Okay. Right? I mean, it's about, this, is about, um, this is about all of us getting along and about respect for each other and all that. I don't know. That's where it's at for me. Maybe you don't agree. 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com. We'll continue to read your emails, text messages. We'll take your calls on this. And we're going to play tough trivia after a break. It's Hal and CJOB. Getting lots of uh, text messages about uh, the team in Edmonton's name. Again, I'm, I'm just not going to say it. We said it a couple times to sort of talk about it. But I, I, I just don't like... Uh, Doing You might think that's silly, but I just don't like doing it because I know people don't like it. Some people don't like it. Let me read one interesting uh, text message I got, though. Hey, Hal, while we're on the subject, I'm of Scottish descent, and I find the guy on the Canadian tire money offensive. They are portraying the Scots to be cheap. Safeway got rid of Scotch buys several years ago. That's right. I remember that. It's degrading. Yes, it is, I think, for Scottish people. I understand that. Uh, it's, uh, you know, a stereotype that uh, I don't think is uh, is fair. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's uh, get you a tough trivia question here so you can win some Santa Lucia pizza. 204-780-6868. 204-780-6868. One in five of us, or thereabouts, 20% of us have quit a job for this reason. What's the reason? About one in five of us or 20% of us have quit a job for this reason. What's the reason? 204-780-6868. For Santa Lucia Pizza. Hello, have you got a guess? Uh, having a baby. Not having a baby. Thank you. Hi, CGOB. Having a baby. Thank you. Hi. Nobody there. Hello, CGOB. Uh, the hours are wrong. No, not the hours. Hi, CGOB. Be a guess. Would it be harassment? Not harassment. No. Hi, CGOB. Yeah. Hi. Uh, you got transferred. You don't want to get transferred. No, not transferred. No. About one in five of us have quit a job for this reason. What's the reason? Hi. 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 Go ahead. Guess. Um, an annoying coworker. No, not an annoying coworker. Hi, CGOB. Hi. Hi. Um, working hours? Not working hours. Already had that, but not the correct answer. Hello, CJOB. Hi. Is it having a smelly coworker? 
A smelly coworker. Good guess, but not the correct answer. Hi, CGOB. Hi, is it because your boss is hitting on you? Uh, no, not because your boss is hitting on you. Hi, CGOB. Okay. Is it because, or should I wait? No, what is it? Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize your voice. Yeah. It sounded more husky today. Basically, is it because of inadequate pay? Inadequate pay. Good guess. Not the correct answer. Sorry. Hello, CJOB. Hey, is it money? It is not money. Nothing to do with money. It has to do with a person. There's my first hint. A person. Uh, hi, have you got a guess? Hi. Hi, what's your guess? Uh, is it because you're leaving for another job? No, it has to do with a person. Hi, CJOB. Because uh, your boss is a jerk. Yes, that's a good reason, but no, not the correct one. Hi, CJOB. Oh, um, sorry, they took my answer there. Uh, is it because of uh, relocation? Not relocation, no. Um, okay, just because we're running short on time, here's the big hint. This is a good one. Everybody, listen closely. 204-780-6868. 204-780-6868. One in five of us have quit a job for this reason. And the reason is because somebody told us to. Somebody told you to quit your job. Who told you to quit your job? A particular person. 204-780-6868 for Santa Lucia Pizza. Tough trivia. All right. Shouldn't take too long now. Hi, CGOB. Bullying. Oh, you missed the uh, whole thing there. Hi, CGOB. Hello? Hi. The uh, answer is because somebody told you to quit. Who told you to quit? Coworker. Not a coworker. No. Hi, CGOB. You're considering killing your coworker. <laughs> no. Hello, CGOB. Hi. Just wondering if you got the answer yet. Not right. Not not the right one. No. Uh, I didn't see your clue, but is it because you're getting married? No. No. Hi, CGOB. Hi, would it be your spouse? Not your spouse, no. Somebody told you to quit. That's the answer. Who, though? What somebody? Hi. Hello? Sorry, I was going to say uh, husband or wife. Uh, not husband or wife. Hi, CGOB. Hi, I have that answer. Go ahead. Would it be the children? Not the children. we got about 30 seconds here, and then I'm just going to take the next person, and they're going to win. Hi, CGOB. Hi, your friends? Not your friends. No. Hi, CJOB. Hello. Why is this phone out? Hi there. Hi, what's your answer? Because your boss told you to quit? Not your boss. No. Okay, it's not the wife's spouse. It's not the kids. Not the boss. Who tells you to quit? Hi. Doctor. Not your doctor. Two more calls, and then I just got to give it to the next person. Hi. Hi, your parent? Well, it's one of your parents. See if you can nail it. Uh, Your mother. Your mom, Yes. Phew, I'm exhausted. One in five of us have quit a job because our mom told us to. Have you ever done that? No. Nope. No. But you have one Santa Lucia pizza. Hang on. News is next at 2. It's Hal Anderson on CJOB. Thank you very much, TFJ. All right, let's talk about cycling, cyclists, and car drivers, automobile drivers here in the city of Winnipeg. Angus Reed has done a new survey across the country. And uh, whether you talk to drivers or cyclists about this, 
they're pretty much evenly split on who respond who is responsible when it comes to conflict on the road although here in Winnipeg we are the only city that blamed drivers slightly more than cyclists and also interesting two-thirds of Winnipeggers indicated we need more separated bike lanes that's the highest percentage of any major Canadian city and while people want bike paths bike lanes they're not really crazy about having them in their neighborhood Janice Luke St. Norbert Councillor joins us now big cycling advocate Uh, Janice good afternoon any of this surprise you no, it doesn't. It just sounds like you just can't win. So. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. People want them, but they don't want them in their neighborhood. And yeah, no. Um, well, this is this is a big issue, right? So yeah, yeah. But so. it does seem like Winnipeggers are are more open to the idea that we need more, uh, you know, spots for bikes to travel. Well, sure. It's because we don't have any. I mean, we have a very few. We've got about one, one point one five kilometers of protected bike lane. And when I say protected, I just want to differentiate. You know, um, I go up and down Pemina Highway all the time. There's plastic poly posts that uh, are adhered to the concrete. That's not really a protected bike lane. What this report. And the protected bike lanes um, that really show value are the ones with the physical barrier that run the entire length of the protected bike lane. Um, And that's what we've got on Assiniboine Avenue. So um, I've biked in cities that have protected bike lanes. Recently in Vancouver, they're everywhere. I couldn't even believe it myself that I was biking in downtown Vancouver. I've been in Ottawa biking on protected bike lanes. It is a game changer when you've got a physical barrier that separates the two, the vehicles and the cyclists. So the plans that are at City Hall right now would see how many kilometers of protected bike paths then? Well, right, I mean, right now we are working on some. We're looking to, to add about 5.5 kilometers by the end of the year. We're putting some on Chevrier Boulevard and St. Matthews Avenue. But, you know, it's piecemeal, right? It's bits and pieces. It's like building pieces of road and not connecting them. I had, um, in my term here, I've brought forward multiple times uh, the request to put these protected bike lanes in. Not permanently, but like Calgary or Edmonton have done, temporary, so that you can move them. And they spent, for seven kilometers, it was a million dollars a kilometer, and they did their whole down Calgary did their whole downtown network in one year, and they have seen a tremendous uptake, Hal, in people using bikes, getting out of their cars. Um, but for a variety of reasons here in Winnipeg, um, we're not doing that. We'll go into one or two reasons why. That seems to me like it's uh, it's a good <laughs> a idea. No it's less expensive. Yeah. It you yeah. know gets the job yeah. done. Yeah. You have to have the political will to do that, and the political will to put in the adjustable bike lanes is not here. Calgary's doing it, Edmonton's doing it, uh, Montreal's done it, Ottawa's doing it. And so, so let, I'll explain it if you've got, do I have a minute to yes, explain absolutely, this Yes, absolutely, yeah. Okay. So currently the system that Winnipeg is using is when we rehabilitate a road, that is when we put in the protected bike lane infrastructure. So if, if that road is on the network, 
But, you know, it's going to take a long time to rehabilitate all the roads downtown, like a long time, five to 10 years. So in my opinion, and obviously cities across Canada, in their opinion, they don't want to wait five to 10 years when they put the protected bike lane in with the road rehabilitation. What they're doing is they're taking those concrete um, jersey barriers, you know, those concrete things that stick up, and they, they just temporarily put them in. They don't they don't build the road with the bike lane in it. They put these protections all along. And bingo, they've got a protected bike lane. So it, it caught, you know, you have to make some light adjustments. You have to fill in the potholes and the curbs, but you don't have to do a major, major road rehabilitation. So it's about a million dollars a kilometer. We could do a, a grid in the downtown connecting to, you know, we've got major, major separated bike paths in the suburbs where we've had space to put them in Bishop Grand and Greenway, Northeast Pioneers Greenway. But in the downtown, we can't put a separated bike lane in like that, we, but we can put a protected one on the road. And that's, in my opinion, the direction we should be moving. We should be putting seven kilometers in this year and be done with it. And then adjust it as when the, when that road, that a section of road comes up for renewal, then we can put the permanent one in. Hmm. But, it, that you know, we operate under a governance model where it's a strong mayor model. And basically it starts from the top and it works its way down. Well, I'm, I'm on the down here and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it takes political will, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's a, you know. And it takes it takes some guts to do it because um, there's always, like you had said in your report, or that the report says, mm-hmm. well, people want it, but not necessarily on their street, right? Yeah, right. So it takes time and conversation and relationship building and a whole bunch of things. And um, there's no political will to do that. Yeah. Let's talk politics for a second while I've got you, Janice. <laughs> You're not going to run for mayor, right? Eh? No, I'm not going to run no. for mayor. Um, no. And uh, do you think Brawati or, or Wyatt might do it? Oh come on! Do you have any idea? Who knows what those guys do? Well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking. You're, you're always really honest, so that's why I'm asking. Because I've been saying for a few days now. I know you're not going to announce for them, and I don't expect you to. I'm just trying to get a sense if somebody with some name recognition is going to run and and give Bowman a run for his money. Because right now it's going to be, in my opinion, it's going to be a coronation. Somebody might catch fire. You never know. But I think it's going to be a coronation unless somebody with some name recognition uh, goes after that anti-Bowman vote and goes after him on Portage and Maine. Not so much that issue, but the issue of I'm better at spending your money than Bowman is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Often what happens is if a person has name recognition, they don't come out of the gate right away. Yeah. They see how the cards are starting to be played. True. And if they've got name recognition, they'll they'll come out in time. I mean, you know, like you think back um, on the Sam Cates time frame, he came out at the very end of that election campaign. He mm. had name recognition and, you know, so... So, you know, maybe very well, maybe Councillor Wyatt, maybe Councillor Barati very well may. I don't know, you know, but, um, yeah, it's. It, it, I, I must say it will be very interesting this time. I didn't think it would be as interesting as it's going to be because um, now we've got many councillors that aren't aren't staying in their seat, right? Councillor yes. Jabassi is retiring, Wyatt, or uh, 
Um, Pactagan said he's retiring. Uh, uh, two wards have amalgamated into one, and those councillors will more than likely be com- you know, competing for the seat against each other. So um, Councillor Morant, I'm not sure if, he'll, if he doesn't get the the conservative nomination for MP, then he will, maybe he'll come back. I don't know. Maybe mm. he won't come back. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's actually, you know, yeah, the, the co- away, you, I want to stay. So. Right. The, the council <laughs> races uh, could be more interesting than the mayor's race this time around. And listen, I, I don't know how organized, uh, you know, um, you know, is there an Andy Bowman, you know, I don't know how organized this gets it in, in this level of politics, but that mm-hmm. might be the best way to challenge the strong mayor model to get mm-hmm. the right people mm-hmm. elected mm-hmm. in these wards, right? Well, that and also um, one of my one of my platforms is going to be um, speaking to people when I'm at the door about the governance model. Mm. Because it's one of the very few models we've got left in Canada like this, the strong mayor model. We do have funding. I've, fortunately, we were able to get funding in the budget to do a review. We haven't done a review in 20 years of the way we're governed, which is ludicrous. But anyways, we're moving in that direction. So that's very positive. And, um, but then, you know, we need a leader that will want to actually do it. Because once you're in that seat of power... Things seem to get very interesting. <laughs> yes, and yeah. uh, they don't want to give it up, right? Well, but- I'll, and I'll, let me just—I'm almost out of time here, Janice. But I'll just say this: that over the last several days, we've been saying, "Well, who do you want to see for mayor? Who do you want to see for mayor?" And we hear mm-hmm. Janice Luke's name a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very flattering. You know what? It's very flattering, but it's not in the cards for me right now. All right. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. Janice, thanks for talking about cycling and a bit of politics. I appreciate it. Thank you, Hal. All Have right. a great day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. We'll take Bye. a break. Quarter after two, we're going to come back and talk to Darren Dunn at Assiniboia Downs next. And just before we talk to Darren Dunn, Bill is on the phone. He's been patiently waiting. Let's talk to Bill here at 204-780-6868. Hi, Bill. Hi, Hal. We're going to pass on to all the good folks. I I was just out doing a few little minor errands. And uh-huh. we, won't, we won't mention any names, but said gasoline retailer was a dollar eighteen a liter and i was good to go i didn't need but i just observed that and i went about doing business and went to you know a few other places as i went back past it uh i noticed other gasoline retailers are a dollar twenty i saw one still at a dollar eighteen and that said retailer was a dollar twenty nine oh boy if I can also pass on, I was watching the business news yesterday when I was having my lunch, and they were saying on the business news channel, whatever it is, um, that the, the oil sands, whatever Syncrude has, a, I won't call it a refinery processing or whatever has been down, and they plan that that's supposed to be down for at least through the month of July. And with the summer driving season kicking in and the demand of gasoline going not only across Canada, but to the states, that gas prices are even going to go up more. Yeah. Well, now, and it's the long weekend, right, yeah, Bill? Yeah. 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 But, I, but I'm saying the gouge just clicked in just around, <laughs> like I say, I left the house about 10 to 1. Yeah. Uh, the final thing, Hal... I um, enjoy a tomato sauce that this one store has, and it happens to be made in the United States. Well, I just thought I was getting low, and I better just pick that up. And I stopped in, and it happened to be the manager because they were getting a little busy. And he says, boy, you're smart. And I looked at him, and I said, are you looking for a tip or something? Uh, Jokingly, of course. And he said, 
Tuesday, he said, all this stuff goes up in price, he says, because the tariff kicks in. And yeah. I just said, well, what else is going up? Everything but my, my salary. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, if the folks are out there and they still see, they might want to top off their tanks and get their tomato products. Bill, thanks for the heads up. Happy Canada Day. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Long and free. All right. There we go. Uh, well, I mean, the gas uh, prices, thats uh, I don't think that's any big surprise. But, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, some products may go up in price, as Bill points out, based on, uh, you know, this uh, bit of a trade battle between uh, Canada and the U.S., between Trump and uh, Trudeau. All right, uh, 221, Darren Dunn at Assiniboia Downs joins us on the phone. Now, Darren, great to talk to you. Hell, always good to talk to you as well, my friend. I went hunting for my old uh, Assiniboia Downs intro. I was excited to play it. You know, what's up at the Downs? And I uh, I couldn't find it, Darren, so it's just you and me with no intro today. <laughs> All good and holy uh, after this many years, uh, hell, uh, hopefully we shouldn't need an intro. Yeah, we don't. Uh, let's talk about racing this weekend, long weekend. A lot of people are out doing stuff. A lot of people will be going to the Downs for racing. I like the sounds of that, and uh, and certainly hope and expect you're right. Uh, we're not going to race Friday night, uh, our traditional uh, live race night, but no racing Friday night. We're going to go Saturday and Sunday night, so Canada Day night, uh, and that's why we uh, uh, passed on the Friday night to maximize our horse supply, uh, and certainly it's uh, logical with the inventory of horses we have, which is very large compared to last year. And uh, So I'm going to throw out there Saturday night, break to post 715, tremendous stake race. The R.J. Spears, named after the the founder of racing, essentially, in Manitoba. And our 2017 Manitoba Derby winner, Plentiful's on display. Won a stake race in his last start, the Free Press Stakes, and he'll battle 10 others. Uh, So that's the feature Saturday night. Prior to that, though, if you want to do a late uh, afternoon daily double, uh, the biggest race in Canada goes. The Queen's Plate from Woodbine Racetrack in Toronto, and they have a gate-jammed 16 horses going to post, including a couple of wonderful, uh, talented fillies. So if you're going to uh, certainly bet on the Queen's Plate or you want to watch and wager on it, do the downs. And then uh, Canada Day uh, night, the uh, reason we say night, last year, Hal, we dipped our toe in the uh, fireworks uh, department and uh, uh, shot fireworks into the air after the races last night. It was really well-received uh, and entertaining, and so we're going to repeat that. And uh, certainly isn't lost on us uh, that there's no uh, fireworks at uh, the park this year. So do the downs for that. So live racing, we have the Gold Eyes on site, and uh, they're going to do a meet and greet. We'll have contests, ticket giveaways, and uh, and then cap it all off after a, a very large field, big uh, race card with uh, boom in the sky. Yeah, Sunday night fireworks around dusk. Good. Yeah, that's the drill. And, uh, yeah, so if people want to come out to 7.15 Parade to Post Sunday night, uh, we'd love to see you both uh, Saturday and Sunday. Otherwise, a bit of a soft start to the season initially in May with uh, the focus rightfully so on the Jets, and June has just rebounded in spades. So uh, great turnout, uh, enjoying the weather when it doesn't rain out here. We're an outdoor sport, so um, if the rain stays away, um, certainly it's a a little bit more enjoyable to watch the ponies, though long shots can win and uh, sloppy track we go no matter what. So uh, depending on how the weather goes, uh, there's no nothing to uh, even doubt. Uh, we'll be racing Sunday and uh, Saturday night. Earlier on, I was talking to Kathy Kennedy filling in for Jeff Courier, and I was telling her about my big uh, $1,200 win out there a couple of years back at the Downs, and uh, certainly it's a lot of fun to play the ponies, great food, just a great atmosphere, wonderful uh, wonderful spot, and I, I certainly encourage people, if they're looking for something to do this weekend, to get out there for racing uh, Saturday night, Sunday night, go early on Saturday, check out 
out the Queen's Plate, wager on that, and then the fireworks on Sunday night and everything else happening there. That's the drill, Hal, my friend. And, uh, yeah, free parking, free admission is always uh, out here at the Downs, so look forward to seeing everybody this weekend. For those who aren't going uh, to Lake Country, uh, do the Downs. Darren, thank you very much. Have a great season, and I hope to see you soon. All the best. Thank you. All right, Darren Dunn at Assiniboia Downs. If you are looking for something to do, and, yeah, there will not be fireworks at Assiniboine Park this year, so you'll be looking elsewhere for that. Uh, how about the Downs? Sunday night, Canada Day fireworks at the Downs. All right, um, I think we'll take a quick break here. The news is coming up here at 2.30, and then after the news, Carolyn Klassen is here from Conexus Counseling. We're going to talk to Carolyn about um, uh, a letter that she wrote to her son as he got married, because it is sort of wedding season, right? And we're also going to talk about losing a child. I can't imagine the pain uh, of losing a child. And we've got a couple of stories uh, over the last couple of days here on CGOB. Uh, we heard from the uncle of that uh, child that was killed in that farm accident. The uncle was on the air yesterday. And then uh, we've also um, got this uh, story that you can see at CGOB.com. And uh, you've been hearing about her story. She's finally speaking out. Jennifer Neville Lake. And she lost her three kids and her dad, but she lost her three kids to a drunk driver. And we've been playing audio of that. So I want to talk to Carolyn Klassen about the the pain of losing a child and how you, I don't know how you do, but how you deal with that and how you come back from that. All right. So Carolyn Klassen, after the news at 2.30, which is next, Hal on CJOB. Thank you very much. TFJ. Happy Thursday, everybody. Thursday means Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling is here. Carolyn, hello. How are you? Good. And I am here this week. Yes. Yes. Now, answer me a question. Answer you a question. Kelly Moore was filling in for me last Thursday, and Mm -hmm. I sent you an email saying, hey, Kelly's filling in. Did I know you were off last Thursday, or was that a surprise? Well, I think I emailed you several weeks before. Right. um, Saying this was coming up, but it was so long, and Mm. I know you have so much on your plate. Yes. And I think right the week before, I hadn't reminded you, because I was away because one of my sons got married. Yes, congratulations. I had wedding on my brain, and so um, I wasn't thinking about too much other than... All the things I had to do to get ready for it. Yeah. Well, and uh, which I love your idea today. You mm-hmm. suggested let's talk about something I've written about. You basically wrote a letter to your uh, first son that got married. Right. Yes. And I, I sort of felt like I'm a therapist. I work with couples all the time and I see the pitfalls and the ways that things can go south uh, nobody sets out when they get married. On everybody has the best of intentions, and yet for so many couples, things don't go the way they plan. Yeah. And uh, it was my opportunity to give my two cents to my son, and then he was willing to have me share it with the world about what I believe is important to remember in order to sort of set a good course to have a good, vital marriage that is good for the two of you together and each of them separately. So yeah, I I was ballsy enough to write what I thought was advice to my son and. <laughs> Hope that he would read it and take it to heart. And then, so when you wrote this, uh, he obviously appreciated he it. He did. And then, did you say, "Hey, I I kind of like what I just wrote. I think I want to <laughs> share that with others. Can I share it?" And exactly. It, so you asked him, eh? Exactly. Yep. 
Um, and and um, I, I never share anything on my blog or when I do speaking engagements. I never share anything about my family unless I have their permission. And they're really mm. good about uh, doing it. I try to do it in a way that's respectful towards them. But I really did, when I thought long and hard about what lessons I wanted him to carry into his wedding, I want all couples to be able to take that. Um, and I, I do a lot of my work off of the research. And when I look at the evidence, I see what's important and what we know that the marriage heroes um, what they do, I wanted them to do those sorts of things mm. um, so that they wouldn't have a marriage zero out of it. All right, so give us some of the advice. Okay. So the first thing I said was to be the best you that you can be. Um, I love to watch Top Chef, and when I watch Top Chef, I watch the knives, the people, the chefs at the beginning of the show, they're all sharpening their knives, right? Because they know that to be the best chef, you need to have sharp knives. And we know that welders, they need to have good tools. When you're a husband or a spouse, the, the tool that you carry into that relationship is you. And so just as chefs sharpen their knives and, you know, other people look after their tools, we have a responsibility to look after ourselves as the tool to make for a good marriage. And so make sure you get enough rest. Um, make sure that you build margins in your life so that you're not stressed and busy because often when people are overly stressed in their lives in general, when they come home at the end of the day, they're not their best selves mm. and they contribute to the tension in the house. And that doesn't make for good relationships, right? Yeah. So I think the first thing I wanted him to do was look after yourself because if you're going to fill her cup, you have to have something in yours. Um, and I wanted him to be able to be good for her, and he can only be good for her if he's in a good place himself. Yeah, you're only as good in that marriage as you are as an individual, right? Right, right. And so I think it's a responsibility that we all have. Sometimes we feel badly uh, in, a, in a world where exhaustion is often a status symbol and how hard we are working or overworked is kind of an estimation of our self-worth, a lot of times we have trouble giving ourselves permission to say, I'm going to read a book now. Although we know that if a person does whatever is good for them, reading a book or taking a walk or going for exercise, if you do those things, then you fill your own tank and then you have something to offer to the people around you. Mm -hmm. It's common sense. And yet so often we don't give ourselves permission to do that. Yeah. So be the best person you can be in that marriage. But did you give like, do you give specific advice too? (laughs) like, do you get really sort of like, yeah, I don't know. Tell me more. Give me, give me more of the advice you get. Well, I did say about, um, you know, make sure that you give yourself permission to get enough sleep. Make sure that you build margins in your life so that you have room to play, to get things done, to do the things that rejuvenate you. Find ways of making sure that your own gas tank is full. And so I have some ideas what that might be for him, but what's good for him is different than what's good for me or good for you. And mm-hmm. so we all have to sort of slow down, be mindful and say, what can I do to be good for myself right now so that when I reconnect with the people that are important to me at the end of this day, no matter who they are, that I can have something that I can offer to them, that I'm not just sort of slithering in the door on on an empty gas Mm -hmm. tank. So this wedding you were just at with with another son, did you give the same advice? Was it a a customized advice for him? him, Well, and you know, what's interesting about that is that the son that just got married, he's my bonus son. So he is my son through marriage. So I love him like he's my own, but I recognize that he doesn't see me as his mother, Mm -hmm. which makes total sense. He had a mother and she passed away. And so to figure out how to speak wisdom into his life was different because I don't have the same right that I do him as I 
do with my own son that I've known for his entire life since Mm -hmm. I pushed him out of my body, right? Uh, And so I had to figure out how I could speak some of that in. So I've taken a different approach with him um, because we can only speak into other people's lives to the extent that we've earned the right to speak. And some of that is the the amount of time and the equity that we've put into the relationship. And some of that is how much permission they give us. And so I have to be really respectful that I do things differently with each of my Mm -hmm. kids because they are so different. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple of things about getting married. Is there a right time? Is there a right age to get married or or not? Uh, Yes. Um, (laughs) But the right... I'm kind of surprised at that answer. (laughs) But the right age for each person is a different age. Mm. Uh, And so each person has to be really mindful and figure out where they are at. Um, Marriage is daunting. It's tougher than what you think it's going to be. Uh, It's more challenging. There's, uh, it's kind of swimming upstream in a world that is often pulling people apart to figure out how to stay connected. And so it requires different levels of, it's not only chronological age, it's um, emotional age. It's the struggles that you've had, the traumas that you faced, your ability to stay close and be close and remain close. Even when there are ruptures that pull you apart, how can you repair the relationship? Uh, and some, for some people, that t- can take decades to learn. Other people know that coming out of the gates where they're getting ready to m- get married as mm-hmm. a young adult. And so it really depends on who you are and what you're ready for. And so the right age is the right age, but the right age is different for each person. Yeah. yeah. Um, are we better the second or third or fourth time around if, it, if that's the way it goes? Maybe. <laughs> and the reason is, is that every marriage that has ended has ended for some reason. And so there's work to do out of that. Mm. Uh, I think it's important to look after your side of the street when a marriage has ended out of divorce yeah. uh, and that that act that requires active work. And so time is not enough. And so I think some people enter a second marriage having done the work and are much better prepared to ready to mm. um, enter that relationship. And some people that don't do the work, they're inclined to either pick the same wrong people or make those same wrong mistakes that mm-hmm. end up in um, subsequent relationships not doing any better than the first because if you haven't learned, then you just repeat the same mistakes. Yeah. Carolyn Classen's here from Conexus Counseling. We're going to continue the conversation. All right. Carolyn Classen is here from Conexus Counseling at 247. Um, if we have time, we'll come back to, um, but I, I definitely want to yeah. talk about losing a child. And this is a, a tough subject, uh, Carolyn, but I asked you to speak on this a bit because we've had a couple of, uh, well, we had the, the young child that was killed in the farm accident. Mm-hmm. We had the uncle on yesterday. And then today we've been running audio of a woman, Jennifer Neville Lake, who lost her three kids and her dad in a drunk driving accident. And we were talking about this in the news meeting this morning, and and it was suggested that we we talk to you about this. I'm sure you've dealt with this in your practice. I I can't imagine losing a child. How did you put it in your email back to me? I think I called it the unspeakable loss or the unimaginable loss, right? It's a... It, there are no words to mm. say the depth of how that is devastating. Um, it's it's hard when we lose parents or spouses, but there is something about the natural order where we recognize yeah. that we're supposed to lose our parents. We're spo- there's a right, right. and it, and it absolutely hurts. Sure, but there's something about burying a child that's just not supposed to happen. It's it's just such a clear sign that the world is not fair. That there's brokenness. That and and life just hurts. And so there's so much 
um, to see a vulnerable child, you know, with so much innocence in life and um, it just is not fair to see a child. And you just, you, when, when you become a parent, you love this child more than you life, like love life mm. itself, right? Like parents would throw themselves in front of a bus to save their child. Um, and then when your best efforts um, and your child still dies, it's devastating. And it's, there's, it's just so hard. And there's mm. so often so much, so many layers of loss to that to that loss where there's, you know, what should I have done differently? If only shoulda, coulda, woulda, all yeah. of that stuff. So you see, there must be, even though there's no responsibility, but there must be a guilt to it because you're the parent. You're supposed to protect your children. Well, but that's what we sign up for yeah. when we have children is to do whatever it takes to make sure that our children are okay. And when we can't make them okay, it just, that's, that's something we take very personally. And so even if our head says it's not your fault, our heart says, I if only I had done something differently, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And, and often when and things that make no sense happen, we look to somehow make them make sense, even if it often has us feel worse. But we mm. just need to try to make sense of something that often you just can't make sense of. Yeah. And then, um, you know, each individual parent, mom and dad, go through their own thing. But then many times, right, correct me if I'm wrong, that marriage will end because of the tragedy of losing a child because... They're broken. Well, when you lose a child, there's so much that happens and it's so complicated. And often people's grieving process and journeys happen in such different ways. One parent might need to talk about it and the other parent might need to not talk about it. Mm. And so when people's way, the style through which they can get through something often it, it pulls them apart and they have to figure out how can we stay a team and how can we support each other. And sometimes it doesn't happen. And often sometimes it's hard when it, when a, a, one of the other children, the surviving children, loses their sibling. They lose their sibling, but in some ways they also lose access to their parents because their parents get are drowning in their own grief. It's hard to, for them to actively see the surviving children and be there for them. It's so complicated mm-hmm. when a child dies and there's so many needs that cannot possibly be met because the grief is so great that we have to figure out how as a community we can surround this unimaginable grief and support them not to make it better but just to be able to help them breathe moment by moment to get them through one day so that they can fall asleep hopefully and then wake up to survive another day. Thriving is not an option. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of breathing one breath one moment at a time. Yeah. Well, it was heart-wrenching yesterday on the news with Julie Buckingham uh, and Christian O'Mell hearing this uncle talk about his, uh, you know, the loss of this child. And then uh, all day now we've been playing audio of Jennifer Neville Lake, and I'm going to have some after 3 o'clock. This, uh, she spoke with Global, uh, sort of broke her silence about the death of her uh, children and her dad at the hands of this drunk driver. And I want to play a couple minutes where she talks about her kids and, Oh, it's just, it's it's heartbreaking stuff, but I think it's an important, especially heading into a long weekend, I think it's important that we talk about this kind of stuff because there are, I, I am blown away that there are sp- still people out there that drink and drive, but it still happens. We hear about it all the time. And, uh, you know, uh, listen, uh, I, I'm not here to tell you what to do, but the one thing I think we all agree we should not be doing is drinking and driving. Like there are too many options uh, for this to, you know, to continue, but yet it continues. And so that's why we keep talking about it. Well, I did listen to the interview from Uncle Simon Mm. yesterday. And what I was struck by was how grateful he was to the first responders and to the support of family and friends that 
in a life that seems unimaginable right now, mm-hmm. that what helps them to just barely, barely, barely get through each moment is the support and the kindness and the compassion yeah. of people around them. And I think when people lose a child, sometimes we're so worried about saying the wrong thing that we say nothing mm-hmm. and we can almost become frightened of, I don't know what to do or how to help this person because that loss just seems so big and so unimaginable. And yet it's the reaching out and the showing care that makes this time barely possible to continue on. And he was just so grateful for the ways I speak to people about those moments, mm. you know, months and years later. And it's it's what what is an important part as they tell that story of the biggest losses of their life is also that those are some of the greatest moments where they also experience some of the greatest kindnesses in their life. Mm-hmm. And it, it we change the story, the how they remember the very traumatic times when they have people that come alongside and are brave to speak into their lives and show care and let people know that they matter and that their grief matters. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, the last few minutes here together. You, you brought up the idea of wedding season and, and the letter that you wrote to your son. L- let me ask you something else that b- reminded me earlier when you were talking about weddings and stuff. Yeah. Weddings can be very stressful times. Oh, yeah. Uh, for brides, grooms, moms, dads, families, I mean, everybody. Any advice at all? Like, Did you experience any of that at all when, you're, when your son got married or not? Well, I've now had three sons get married, mm. and with each child, I have little meetings with myself ahead of time. and um, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be like this. Right. And how do, uh, for example, at this last wedding, um, my new my new daughter-in-law and my son, they are kind of in the moment type of people. And I'm a very organized person. Mm. Um, and it's just two different styles. So I had to remind myself that this was their wedding. They could do by the, you know, fly by the seat of your pants in the moment kind of thing. And I would come along and be helpful in any way I could. And just because they didn't do it the way that I would do it didn't mean they weren't doing it in a way that didn't work for them. Right. And so I really had to remember what this was about, that the big picture is about showing love and care and about supporting them in a way that's meaningful, in a way that they can leave the experience of having been married to know that, you know, Carolyn was in our corner and that she did what she could to help us through mm. as they were going through this very special moment. And so I had to keep my eyes on the prize um, and to figure out how to talk myself through the experience in a way that wasn't necessarily natural, but in some ways it was natural because really what I did want to do was have them leave that experience knowing that I care and they matter to me and I wanted to help it to be successful for them in a way that they define success. Mm. And that's different for each couple. And it's important for us as parents to figure that out. And it's important as couples, you know, sometimes people get caught up in the the candles and the flowers and the moment of the day and forget that what they're doing is they're launching the rest of their lives and that it's often the mistakes of the day that are the moments that people remember with fondness and laughter, that when things go wrong, it just makes it unique. It doesn't make it a disaster. Um, people are just prepared to love and support them. Um, and so the, the idea is to keep your focus on the big picture and not on the minutia of the day, which can sometimes stress people out at a level that five or ten years later, they only just laugh about. Yeah. Uh, this conversation began on a letter you wrote to your son, the first one that got married. And how if people want to read this stuff, sometimes we talk about things right. you've written about. Yes. Where's the website where they can read okay, it? Okay, so I put it uh, on my Facebook, um, Connexus Counseling. Um, and so you can look it up there and get a link right to it. To it. Uh, if you Google a letter to my groom's son at Connexus Counseling, um, it's a blog and it's, uh, I think, just a good one for us all. It, sometimes I think those of us that have been married for a while, we go to weddings not just to support the couple, but to be reminded of our first love and to get to to get in touch with that stuff that's deep down inside and we get to be reminded of our own love. Mm. And so I think it's good for us all to be reminded about 
um, what it was like to start off fresh in the excitement we had then. And if we can reignite that 5, 10, 20, 50 years later, uh, it can only be a good thing. Thank you, Carolyn. Always a pleasure. Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. The news at 3 is coming right up. Kelly Pickler on her birthday. She is 32 years old. I like Kelly Pickler. When she was on American Idol, she was so cute. She's gone on to be a, well, fairly big country star. Let's take a bit of this. having a birthday today, Mel Brooks, comedic genius, Mel Brooks. He's up there. He's 92 today. Mel Brooks, 92. Uh, another comedian, John Biner, 81 today. Kathy Bates, remember, from uh, Misery and uh, other great movies, 70 years old today. John Elway, quarterback, 58. Mary Stewart Masterson is 52. John Cusack is 52. And Steve Burton, who's Steve Burton? Steve Burton, Dylan McAvoy on The Young and the Restless. And you know I'm a YNR fan, so whenever I get a chance to mention YNR, I do. He is 48 today. Steve Burton is 48. By the way, today is Insurance Awareness Day, International Body Piercing Day today, Handshake Day, and Paul Bunyan Day today. Uh, we were talking last half hour, and you've been hearing throughout the day today from Jennifer Neville Lake. She lost her dad and three kids to a drunk driver. And we were talking about it with Carolyn Klassen last half hour. Global, uh, Jennifer broke her silence, came to Global to talk about uh, what she's been dealing with, losing three kids and her dad. Here is just a couple minutes I want to play for you, her talking about her three kids that she lost uh, to a drunk driver. Well, let's start with Millie because she's the one that I'm not the saddest, but I regret that I don't know her as well as I knew her brothers. She seemed to be very thoughtful if she was watching and she was always watching and you could feel her watching and the wheels turning. She was happy. She liked to explore. You're doing awesome, Harry. Harry was an amputee who had other health concerns. There was a lot of pressure on Harry. Originally, they had told us that he wouldn't walk. If he ever did, it would be with devices. The questions about his hands, there was a whole, whole lack of things. So many different layers to him and so sweet inside. It would have been a really interesting journey with Harry. And he wanted long, 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 beautiful hair like Rapunzel. He was always picking up dandelions and he would bring them to you just because you were booful. And it didn't matter if you were 
you know, a man or a woman, you would get a flower because you were booful. Yeah, yeah. Daniel. Daniel was the peacekeeper. Daniel was interested in ballet on his own and he randomly asked me one day and I'm like, do you even know what that is? Because I, you know, I'm not a ballet dancer. I have a cousin who did, you know, jazz and tap, but not ballet. And so we took out videos and he loved it. I remember in grade one, um, the school let me know that there was an incident on the playground and it was Daniel had been teased about him being in ballet. And so the other kids were pushing or whatnot. And Daniel just started, I don't even know what the term is, pirouetting. And he said, you know, I have all the girls. And I was like, oh boy, you figured that out at six. I'm in trouble. <laughs> it was my Mother's Day present every year as I would go to the Rose Theater and get to watch him perform on stage and it was, it was amazing. Jennifer Neville-Lake. Um, as I said before, I can't believe that people still drink and drive, but people still do it, and as we're heading into a long weekend, man, if that two minutes and 20 seconds of her talking about her three dead kids uh, does not make you call a cab or make other arrangements this weekend, I... I don't know what will. Jennifer Neville Lake. 312 will break here. Check traffic. Hang on. Hallen, CGOB. This is uh, just coming across the wire here now. Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland will visit Hamilton tomorrow to reveal the details of the federal government's plan to support Canada's tariff targeted steel and aluminum industries. Freeland will also reveal the complete updated list of U.S. products and industries that Ottawa intends to target with its own barrage of retaliatory tariffs, which go into effect on Sunday. So obviously we'll be talking more about that on the show tomorrow. All right, that's uh, coming up tomorrow here on CJOB. It's uh, 3.17. Yesterday on the show we talked to Amber McGookin, Global News reporter, who was in Fargo. Well, she was in Fargo last night for that Donald Trump rally. And uh, kind of interesting, you might have heard this with uh, Greg Mackling this morning on CGOB, but she was uh, talking to people in the lineup, and she went to near the front of the lineup. So some of these people were there the day before, stayed overnight in a tent just to be in the rally to see Donald Trump. And uh, Amber ran into somebody and a pretty interesting story. Again, you might have heard it this morning with Greg Mackling. If you missed it, here it is. Take a listen. Amber McGookin on her trip to Fargo. We went to the front of the line to see, you know, okay, these people are going to be the biggest fans, right? They've got, they got here early. So we went to the front of the line and we're chatting with people. Some people had set up tents, had been there the day before. Um, and then as we were kind of talking to the line, someone a few people back, um, waved us over and was like, oh, are you guys from Winnipeg? And uh, he was also from Winnipeg. So that's Zachary Stevens. He's from Winnipeg, but he actually goes to school in North Dakota. So he's kind of half and half. And so since he's been in school there, he's just 
he says, become obsessed with Trump. He was wearing a sweater with Trump's face all over it. And it was very hot out, like very, very hot. And he had uh, been there since three in the morning. Um, very dedicated. He was very eager to see the president. He, we asked him why, you know, why Winnipegger would be so, um, like, what about him is a draw for you to, you know, to get there at three in the morning, you know, you got to be very into it. He just thought that Trump was bold and he liked that he just said what he wanted. And he was hoping we would have someone like that here in Canada, but we don't. That's what he said. So here's my question for you, 204-780-6868, Hal at CGOB.com. What is it about this Donald Trump guy? Why are people so passionate about him, either passionately against the guy or passionately in favor? And to the point where Canadians, I mean, even if I talk about Donald Trump on the air, we get text messages right away from people that are supporting Trump, and they say, why are you you slamming Trump, You, you know? Why are we so passionate about this guy? Why do we as Canadians like or dislike this guy so much? I'm curious to know what you think. 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. Did I mention yet? I think I did, but uh, let me just say it again. Insurance Awareness Day, International Body Piercing. Yes, I did say this already. Handshake Day and Paul Bunyan Day. There you go. That's what uh, today is. And uh, I'll just tell you, uh, I like to let you know, you know, when I'm enjoying something or when I find a great product or what, like my pillow, right? So uh, we really enjoyed making a murderer on Netflix. And I mean, a lot of people watch that. We are just about done another one like that on Netflix. It's called The Staircase. I don't know if you're watching it or not, but it's good. Not as good as Making a Murderer, but it's very good. Here's a bit of the trailer from Netflix on The Staircase. I can vividly remember finding Kathleen. 911, where's your emergency? My wife had an accident. She's still breathing. What kind of accident? Kathleen Peterson was found dead at the bottom of the couple's staircase. Peterson's husband is novelist Michael Peterson. The cop was on me instantly. There was sufficient evidence to warrant a trial. The injuries are not consistent with a fall down the stairs. The charge? First-degree murder. So you're into that real crime stuff, The Staircase, now streaming on Netflix. 